and uh, a lot of great things that I've been getting just from uh, some of the things that have been brought forth and the studying that I've been doing in the lessons. And today we're going to be talking about spiritual hunger. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, uh, that will be our text scripture today. If you are missing any handouts, please let me know. We will make sure that you get a copy. I presume everyone here has a copy by now. Amen. And as you're turning and finding the scripture, we're going to pass the offering plate around. And uh, if you want to give, this is an opportunity for you to give unto the Lord. Amen. God will bless you. Amen. If you give unto the Lord. Praise God. God bless you for your faithfulness to the house of God. And we are praying that God would bless the offering that it would be used for the upbuilding of his kingdom. And again, God will bless you for your faithfulness to him. Amen. Praise God. Thank God for the offering and those that have to give and those that have not to give. God will bless you again for your faithfulness to him. Matthew chapter five, verse six. And again, familiar passage of scripture. I'm sure that you have read this. If you have been one of the ones that participated in reading your Bible through This is one of the first few chapters that you read in the New Testament. Jesus is teaching the multitude. And one of the things he says here in verse 6, Matthew chapter 5, he says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be somewhat filled. Y'all see that? (laughs) Well, they shall be half filled. We'll try it again. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We see no word attached to the word filled. We see no uh, implication that it means anything other than being full. Amen? The Amplified Version says, blessed and fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous in that state in which the born-again child of God enjoys his favor and salvation are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uprightness, and right standing with God, for they shall be completely satisfied. That's why I like some of these other versions. The Amplified Version is one of my favorites to use when I want to expound or find something that really brings out the point of the Scriptures. Some of these versions, you've got to be careful because they'll take away from the Scripture. Amen. But when you look at this, it's just expounding upon what Jesus was talking about. Amen. So as we continue our voyage of Jesus' teachings on how our attitudes should be. Everybody say attitude. Because everybody has one. (laughs) An attitude in and of itself 
doesn't have a positive or negative connotation. It's the nature of that attitude that determines whether or not it's a good or bad, or let's just say it the way the scripture says, a good or an evil attitude. Amen? Amen. But as Jesus teaches us about how our attitude should be, we must recognize that there is a common theme in every lesson. And that theme is if we pattern our conduct after a godly manner, then we will be blessed. Now, who in here don't want to be blessed? You got folks in the world that want to be blessed. But Jesus is teaching us if you want to be blessed, well, this is what you got to do, right? This is how your attitude should be. In this particular passage of Scripture, the promise and the prerequisite of our blessing hinges upon what? In the passage that we read, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Righteousness is a thing that our promise and the prerequisite hinges upon. Okay. Righteousness is not just the abstinence of sin. It is the absence of sin. Now. A lot of folks want to receive the blessings. They want to be prosperous. But they don't want to fulfill the things that God is requiring of us. I want the promises to be fulfilled. I want the benefits of serving God without applying myself to the things of God. But that's not how it works. The Greek word for righteousness in this passage is dekeosun. That word means the approval of God. It refers to what is deemed by, right by the Lord after his examination. It's what is approved in his eyes, dekeosun. So think about that for a second. Because you see the word righteousness If you look around in our world today, a lot of people are filled with self-righteousness. I was just talking to my family members the other day and talking about how, you know, people are so quick now to try to justify their actions. They find any way to justify themselves. And there's very few that just comes to the point that says, you know what, I was wrong. So part of the issue then is if I'm always justifying my actions, if I can justify myself, then I don't need God. Which is why you have a lot of folks who will come to the house of God and hear the word of God and leave in the same condition because that doesn't apply to me. I hear what the preacher is saying, but that doesn't pertain to me because I'm okay. Stay with me, child. The Bible declares that all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23, right? That's right? 5 and 12. Just because you haven't committed 
a particular sin doesn't mean you haven't come short of the glory of God. Right? So none of us are, neither do we have the capability of being righteous on our own. Can't. In fact, the Bible lets us know in this flesh alone, there is no way that you can please God. The flesh wants to do everything opposite to God. That's the nature of the flesh. Has no desire to please God. Of our own selves, we do not have the ability to be righteous. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. As it is written, Paul says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Now, I'm going to I'm bring some clarification here so y'all don't jump to conclusions. We just started the lesson. There is none righteous, no, not one. And isn't that what the scripture says? But what he's talking about is on our own exclusively, apart from God, none of us are righteous. We don't have that capability. It is only when we pursue after God that we obtain righteousness. We are at a time now, time is drawing nigh, time is drawing closer where we are going to stand before God one day and we will be judged for our actions but can I tell you something it's not just the actions a lot of folks you know well I'm not smoking I'm not drinking I'm not going out there and committing acts of adultery you know I'm not doing any of these bad things so I should be okay but what about your thoughts what about your emotions are your emotions in control Who's controlling them? What thoughts do you have? Are they evil thoughts? Because you can't think evil thoughts and then have your mind on the things of God at the same time. So just because you're not out there, and let me go a step further. If you come to God, this is, this is one of the things I believe is a great concern in the body of Christ today, you got so many folks that are treating God casually. Do you remember there used to be a reverence and a fear when folks would come before God and come to the house of God? It didn't matter what state you were in. Even if you was a sinner, you recognized you was in the presence of majesty. Now you got folks that come to the house of God, don't respect the house of God, don't respect the man of God, don't respect the things of God. Comfortable, complacent, don't want to do nothing for God, but again, they want the benefits. You want to be blessed. Some folks can't get the healing that they need in their body because you're not doing what God told you to do. You ever heard folks, remember, you talk to sinners and say, well, you know, as soon as I get my life together, then I'll come to God. That's not how it works. And some folks are waiting for God to heal them before they do what God is telling them to do. And God is saying, no, I called you to do something. I didn't say it was contingent upon how you felt. What's right is I told you to do something, and so you need to do it. 
regardless of the condition that you're in right now. I called you to do something. There's a reason why I called you to do what I called you to do. So are you telling me, in essence, well, God, when you do what I want you to do, then I'll do what you're asking me to do. That's the attitude. Some folks can't get financial blessings. Some folks can't get blessings in their relationship, in their home, because they're not doing what God has called them to do. You want to see some folks' lives change, start doing what God told you to do. You know, one of the worst Worst accidents that happens. You got folks that are married, and before they start, you know, as soon as they start, they understand what God is calling them to do. Before they start doing it, they're waiting for God to change the other person. Well, God, when you get my wife right, when you get my husband right, then I'll start living for you and doing the things that you called me to do. That's not how it works. God says, you do what I called you to do. And let me do the work that you can't do. But there's coming a time where we will stand before God and we will be judged for the life that we lived and what we did or did not accomplish for God. I heard the word say only what you do for Christ will last. Everything that we do in word or deed, we're supposed to do it unto who? You got folks chasing money, chasing careers, trying to get successful in life. You better stop listening to the lies of the enemy and to the world about how what success is. Because heaven and earth is going to pass away one day. But the things that you do for God, that's what's going to matter when it's all said and done. That's what's going to be considered righteous to God. Paul says in Romans 12 and 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you do what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You can't make the determination of what is right in your own definition. It has to be what's acceptable to God. And that's part of the reason why we got some of the issues we have in the body of Christ, because folks are redefining what is right. So now it's OK. It's all right. It's OK with God, you know, because it's OK to me, you know, to have a homosexual musician. See, I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about what's going on in the church. Because brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, this is who we say we are. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And everything that we go over when we come to Sunday school or discipleship class and when we come to service and we listen to the word of God and when we come on Wednesday nights, it is because we say we believe this thing. But if we believe it, then it should reflect in our life. What amazes me is we got so many folks who are so self-righteous in the church. They're quick to judge the world, but then they don't even live the lifestyle they're supposed to live that God is calling them to live. Folks are quick to talk about how the world dressed, but then folks still coming in here half naked. Showing skin. Lord, help me, Jesus. I know the pastor's not here. 
but what's right is what's right. Supposed to be modest. The, the scripture teaches it, does it not? Supposed to be holy, separated from the world. The, the, one of the reasons why we don't have people living that is because people ain't teaching it. So it must be okay. It must be okay for me to present myself, you know, however, what I think is right. Define what is right to myself, right? That's okay, right? No, that's not what the Bible says. It says what's acceptable unto God, right? Y'all all right? Can I teach the truth? We're living in the last days. We don't have time to play games. We don't have time to play with God. Folks want to make it to heaven, and we want to get to heaven, but the way to get there, you're going to have to do what God says. There's only one way to get there, and that's his way. Amen? Last time I checked, God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. So we have to go according to his ways. Amen. God is the only one who has the authority to judge us. David exclaims in Psalm 1 and 6, he says, The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Then he says in Psalm 7:11, God judgeth the righteous. It is God who judge or who judges the righteous. His ways are righteous and holy. In essence, to be connected to God is to be filled with righteousness. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 23. There is a dialogue taking place between the rich man and Jesus. Now, I'm going to talk about righteousness. I know the enemy doesn't want me to, but I'm going to talk about it because the church needs to know about righteousness. We say we believe that. Amen. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 23. And behold, now Jesus just finished talking about the children. You know, don't 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 keep the children away. Let them come. And at this point, here comes a rich ruler. One came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, what do he say? Keep the commandments, right? The man, you know, he says, which Jesus, uh, he, he asked him, he says, which one? Jesus told him, he says, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Look at the response of the young man. He says to Jesus, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What else? What do, what do I lack? I'm good. I kept these commandments, so I should be good, right? My, my, 
my salvation, my entrance in the kingdom of heaven should be secured because I follow these commandments. Jesus said unto him, if thou be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. What a sad moment for this rich young person. Notice the rich man, from all appearances, seems to be a good man. He claims to abide by the commandments of God. Therefore, there should be no question about his spiritual condition. If he's following the commandments, then he should be good to go, right? But the Bible indicates the underlining fault within him. The love of his money and his possessions. He was considered to be young and rich. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who would like that, that status in life. To be young and to be rich. Right? Ask a lot of people in the world, and that's, you know, they had a, uh, somebody posed a question, I guess, on social media, and pretty much gave them the scenario that if you're, you were drowning, and, you know, or uh, you had a loved one that you had to save, and you had to pick one, and it was either between your mother, or, you know, your siblings, or your wife, or your children, and 10 million U.S. dollars. What would you save? And interestingly enough, I mean, you had a few responses, but one of the responses said, I would just have to get the money. With those options. Now, now, I'm pretty sure that this individual did not think this through. Because the reality would be that if I watched my child drowning about to lose his life and i have 10 million u.s dollars and i've got to choose which one i'm going to save to say that i'm going to risk one life for the sake of my own Sadly enough, there are some folks who would go for the money regardless of who it was. Now, I don't care how bad your marriage gets. You shouldn't be talking about I'm going to save the money instead of my wife or my husband. Ten million dollars going to run out at some point. <laughs> of course. I guess that could go another way, but I won't. (laughs) But it's really sad that we have a society who have come to that point where they would even consider that money is more important than the value of life because life has no price to it. But I would presume... That they had the same mentality that this young rich man had. Jesus offers him. 
you know, it's very interesting because he is the one that approached Jesus about what it would take to get into the kingdom of heaven. He asked Jesus that. Jesus didn't just find him randomly. This man came to Jesus. So what I find interesting is that if you were really concerned about getting into the kingdom of heaven, it wouldn't have matter what Jesus would have said. Notice what Jesus told him, though. He promised him. He says, if you go and you sell everything that you have and give to the poor, you're going to have riches in heaven. But that didn't matter to him because when he when he first approached Jesus, his approach wasn't inquisitive. He wasn't looking to find out what is the real way to get to heaven. He wasn't really concerned about going to heaven. He was just trying to figure out, am I okay with the lifestyle? Do you condone where I'm at right now? He, he, didn't, he didn't want that answer that Jesus gave him. He was okay when Jesus said about the commandments. He was, he was good with that. Because that was surface stuff. Can you imagine if he were to relate this lifestyle that this rich man had back then I would relate it to maybe, you know, today, having a variety of luxury cars. You got a Bentley. You got a Lamborghini. This yours. You got a Rolls Royce. All belongs to you, and your garage is big enough because you got a carport. You know, you got an underground carport. It's all belong to you. Folks come to your place, they, it's like they walking through a dealership. All your cars, it's just a whole showroom right there. It's all yours. A large wardrobe, you talking about one room. 16 foot by 16 foot, and this is all filled with your wardrobe, shoes and clothes. You got maids and butlers. Just at your request, you can have the meal made that you want. At any given time, wake up two o'clock in the morning. I, I just want some some eggs and, and bacon. Claude, have mercy. Glass of orange juice. Got your swimming pool in the backyard. You want to take a swim? You got your jacuzzi set up. When it's time to run your bath water, you just want to take a nice comfortable bath. I want it this temperature. You got sofas, so whenever you need to go somewhere. If you want to take a trip to Walmart, you got a chauffeur ready. I ain't seen nobody going to Walmart, no. <laughs> you want to take a trip across the seas, you got your own private jet. You got your own pilots. You got your own stewardesses. Every place you go, you got special privileges and preferences. You got all these things going for you. This is how I would relate it. Because this is what's, you know, this is what's glorified now. You look at all these stars. It's amazing to me how many folks, you know, some of these stars, how much their homes are. And these are not even homes they're living in every day. We scrape pennies just to try to get a house that's $200,000. And you dropping money that's a court, you know, oh, well, you know, this was this is a million dollars. That was the cheap house. 
looked at this house. They had a documentary. I was like, what is this? I won't lie. The first thing I thought about was, man, that's too many rooms to clean. You got 14 bathrooms. <laughs> that's too much. I'll be wanting to inspect. But his valuables and possessions were at close hold. Jesus caused the rich man to confront the heart of his issues, and that was his riches. The Bible declares that it is the love of money that is at the root of all evil. You know, the Bible says that where a man's treasure is, there's his heart. He didn't say that money was evil in and of itself. He says the love of money is the root of all evil. A lot of folks want to bash, you know, Christians that are rich. He didn't even say it was impossible. He didn't say it was a sin to be rich. He said, but it's hard because it's easy to get attached to what you have and almost come to a point where you feel like you are self-sufficient. You've arrived where you are on your own and anything you need from this point, you can provide on your own. But it's not impossible. It is possible to be godly and have a lot of money. It's the love of money. It's a heart issue. You know, that's why Jesus told him, he says, you know, what you got to do is set, you know, seek ye first. Paul told me, he says, set your affections on the things above. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Set your affections on the things above. As we're talking about righteousness, this is what it's going to take. Some folks get so comfortable in their family structure that they forget about God. I got my family, so I'm good. Surprisingly, sometimes God allows things to come your way in your own family because you've gotten so attached that you forgot about God. You're at a point, a dangerous point, where you're replacing God with the things that you have in this life. That was never the intent of God. Set your affections on things above, seeking first the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And I want to to read I'm going to read something from, from John Gill's expository, but I want to read this in the Amplified Version. You can read along in in the King James. But it says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness, your uprightness, and your right standing with God is more than that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. From the expository, there's some comments here, and I'll read just some of it. He says, These words are directed not to the true disciples of Christ in general or to his apostles in particular, but to the whole multitude of the people who had in great esteem 
and admiration the scribes and Pharisees for their seeming righteousness and holiness. The scribes were the more learned part of the people who were employed in writing out and expounding the law. And the Pharisees, because they were the strictest sect among the Jews for outward religion and righteousness. And yet it seems their righteousness was very defective. It lay only in an external observance or excuse me, observance of the law did not arise from a purified heart or the principles of grace, nor was it performed sincerely and with a view to the glory of God, but for their own applause and in order to obtain eternal life. Besides, they neglected the weightier matters of the law and contended or contented themselves with the lesser ones. And as they were deficient in their practice, so they were very lax in their doctrines as appears from the foregoing verse. They were so concerned, and if you look at it, you know, they got some history uh, that talks about where the Pharisees and Sadducees came from because you don't hear about them necessarily in the Old Testament. You hear about the high priests and the prophets and all these guys, but not necessarily the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This was an educational type of thing, uh, you know, the Jewish um, academics, and so these are people who are well-versed in the law of Moses or the law that God gave to Moses. But their practices were not anything from the heart. Their practices had everything to do with what was on the outward, anything that would draw attention, anything that would make them look good. One of the things they would do and you find when Jesus in his early in his ministry, you'll find that they were and so, you know, they were so oppositional to Jesus because it was taking credit and focus off of them. The Bible even goes to say that at some point they wanted to believe. But for fear of the people and for fear of losing their 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 their. Um, uh, well, their identity, but their respect, it's not the word I was looking for, but for fear of losing that. They stuck with what they were doing. They stuck with the surface things. And this is where it comes to, you know, the same thing with the rich ruler or the rich young man. You know, this was surface, obviously, because his heart had it was not in the law. It was not in pleasing God. If his heart was into pleasing God, then he would have had no issue giving up the things that Jesus told him to give up. And the same thing with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were so quick to point out people's faults. Well, the law says this. You remember the woman that was taken in adultery? Let's bring her before Jesus. We're going to knock out two birds with one stone. We're going to, no pun intended. They were trying to catch Jesus up. And they would have stoned that woman. If Jesus would have gave them the okay, but what did Jesus say? All right. I understand the law, and yes, the law is right. At this moment, you found this woman in adultery. So the first one without sin, go ahead. Have at it. Isn't it a mystery? Why no one cast that stone? Hmm. The surface. 
Jesus made them look bad because they did not connect with what they were teaching. They didn't connect with the standard that they were holding everybody else to. Just something to put out there. As long as I look good, I'm okay. When you see me, I'm not doing evil. But behind closed doors, whole different story. So Jesus warns them, except your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, because pretty much the Pharisees are self-righteous. They even went to the point of convoluting the law. Put some pollutions in there just to tailor it to what, you know, what felt good, what was good to them. Today, the principle still applies. What good does it do to come to the house of God? I wish somebody would tell me. What good does it do to come to the house of God and hear the word of God? What good does it do to read the scriptures and don't change? Furthermore, what good does it do to make all these bold proclamations about who I am and still miss heaven? Has it become about the looks? We deceived ourselves into believing that as long as I look okay, nobody else knows what I'm really dealing with and what I'm really going through. Nobody knows the jacked up life that I'm living right now. But God sees it. So at some point, then we should come to the mindset that we need to get right. According to who? God. Because that's what matters. So many folks are going trying to impress people. You don't need to impress me. I don't need to impress you. I'm not the judge. You're not the judge. Well, I better not show this because, you know, they might... At the end of the day, you're standing before God. God's looking at everything you're doing, and it's all going to be it's, it's recorded. You know how people go to court and they argue about what was said, you know, he said, she said, and all that other stuff? When you stand before God, there's not going to be a response that you have to give to justify any of your actions. You can, you can devise in your own mind... What excuse you want to give for not doing what you're supposed to. But when you're standing before the righteous judge, think about it. You're standing before the essence of holiness and righteousness. Do you think for a second that you can come up and conjure up with anything that would be justifiable for not doing the right thing? You won't be. You won't be able to say anything because it'll be right there before you. Righteousness is about what's pleasing to God. And I wanted to take the time to go through the righteousness part because the Bible talks about if you hunger and thirst after righteousness. But it's important for us to understand it's not about what you think is right. It's not about what we define as right. We can't afford to live this life as Christians based upon what we think is right. That's what's going on with our world today. They have tossed out the standards of what is truly right, and now everybody is defining what is right. 
And every time you allow each individual to define what is right. I wrote this about, I think it was a week ago. It says you take out the morals and the things that God set in place to determine what was right and wrong. And you leave it up to every individual. Then you have nothing against the murderers and the rapists and the pedophiles and all these other terrorists and everybody else that go in the world doing what they feel is right. How can you condemn them? If right is defined by what we think is right. God is the one that determines what is right. And if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, the promise is you'll be filled. You don't have to sit there and try to fill yourself. God will fill you. But it depends on what you're pursuing after. Scientists say that there are two types of hunger on a spectrum. You have what you call homeostatic hunger and you have hedonic hunger. Homeostatic basically is eating for calories and pleasure. Basically, that, that's when you go a certain amount of hours not eating, it's a sense of or a condition of starvation. That's the homeostatic hunger. You're eating because you need to replenish your body. Hedonic hunger is when you're just eating for pleasure. You ever smell an aroma? It's not that you were hungry, but you smelled an aroma or something that was just like, oh, I smell that cherry pie. I smell, oh, yeah, I smell some chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you done ate lunch already, but, you know, just the smell of them chocolate chip cookies. And that's that hedonic hunger where it's like I don't really my body is not asking for food. My body doesn't really need any nutrients, but I'm going to eat for pleasure. So when I looked at that, I thought about folks in the world. Who are starving. for truth. They are depraved. Of the right things. That's why they're in the condition that they're in. They are spiritually sick. Anorexic. Think about it. Check this out. This is some symptoms of starvation. Shrinkage of such uh, your vital organs, the heart, lungs, ovaries, testes, gradual loss of their functions. You got anemia, chronic diarrhea, reduction in muscle mass and consequent weakness, lowered body temperature. Combined with extreme sensitivity to cold, decreased ability to digest food because of lack of digestive acid, uh, irritability and difficulty with mental concentration, immune deficiency, swelling from fluid under the skin. Pretty much it affects your whole entire life. Your body is literally shutting down. Now think about that condition and apply it to the people in our world. You know, the same people we look at and we get upset because they're like, oh, they're just so evil, they're just so evil. They're sick. This is not the type of hunger that the scripture was talking about, where you're deprived. You know, I told my children this, and I say this again, you know, There should be no reason why we put more emphasis and focus on everything else in this world and not on the things of God. If I haven't picked up my Bible 
in just in throughout the week to read? No, not as a check the block, you know, yeah. He, oh, I got my reading chart. I'm caught up. I'm good to go. That's great. But are you reading to receive something? I can serve you. I can put a, food, a plate of food before everybody. It could be delicious food. You can smell it and be like, it's great. It's great. But And you still leave the table hungry. In essence, that's what's happening. When you take, when you take the Bible and you just read it just to check the block and you just not, you didn't get anything from it. It was just set before you, but you didn't receive any nutrients from it spiritually. So you're not growing. You're malnourished. But the, the scripture is not talking about being deprived of food, but it's talking about having a pleasure. I'm eating this because I like the aroma. I like, I'm attracted to its presentation. Wow. Woo. Blessed are they which do hunger, who desire, who crave. The word of God. If your thing is broccoli, that's great. I know some people don't can't stand broccoli, but but when you crave for the things of God, the Bible promises that you will be filled when you desire after. You know, again, it's not just one of those things where you just kind of like, well, you know, I go periodically without it or whatever. Can I tell you something? One of the, one of the good signs of being nourished physically is what? What do we see? When somebody's eating good, what do we see? Something's going to develop, right? Somewhere, Right? You know, it may not be where we want it, but the body is being nourished, right? Now, you you know, you could be eating junk food and, you know, whoo. Folks always reading that good stuff about, you know, God loves us and, you know, blessings and favor and, you know, that's, <laughs> that's what I like to the junk food. Not that it's junk. But I only want the good stuff. Anybody ever seen Bambi? If you remember this, if you've seen Bambi, you remember the scene where Thumper, he was, you know, they used to always go out and, you know, he went out and he's getting ready. His, his, his siblings are eating stuff and he goes for the blossoms. Apparently that was the good stuff. And his mom says, Thumper. Yes, mama. What did your father tell you about what? About eating the blossoms and leaving the greens. Oh, that one. Eating greens is a special treat. They make long ears and great big feet. But it sure is awful stuff to eat. What was the lesson that his father was telling him? (laughs) Eat the healthy stuff. He kept going for the blossoms because that was the good stuff, but he didn't eat the greens, which was supposed to help him develop. Folks want to eat the junk food. You know, people want to hear the preaching about how God's going to prosper you. And and that's all great because those are promises in the word of God. They're true. But there are some prerequisites. You don't want to read stuff about, you know, come out from among them and be ye separate. Stop listening to that junk that you listened to way back in the day. If you was disco back in the day. 
you don't disco no more. Hip hop, jazz. Oh, we don't want to touch on jazz because they ain't got no words all the time. It's just skibbity doo 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 skip da doo. That's old jazz. But if God delivered you from those things, don't go back to it. See, those are the things that folks don't want to hear because it requires something from us. Bottom line is this, because my time is up, and I'm sure the pastor will come back next week, and he'll expound some more on what he, uh, on his notes, and you've got those notes. But the bottom line is this, brothers and sisters, you understand that righteousness is something that God requires because he is the epitome, he's the essence of righteousness, and if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, in essence, hungering and thirsting after him, seeking first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you. I heard David said, I was young, now am I old, yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. You want to be filled? Seek the kingdom of God. Seek after his righteousness, and then everything that you need shall be added. He will fill you up. God bless you. In the name of Jesus, we're going to take a break and come back for our dynamic service. In Jesus' name.